Well, we're, I'm going to turn. And, uh, we've already read Luke 22, 54 to verse 62, and a key verse in that context was and Peter went out and wept bitterly. But eventually we're going to be going over to 1 John, and we'll be dealing with several of the verses there in, in chapter 1 of 1 John, the first epistle of John. Now, many times... There are those things in our lives that we believe we could do without. Well, we would rather they didn't exist because they make us feel uncomfortable. However, today's topic is one that God knows that was as the redeemed of the Lord we need. We're born again, and there is only one thing that can save us from an eternity in hell, and that is the death of Jesus Christ as our substitute on the cross. Christ completed his mission. The penalty paid in full for anyone who will come by faith believing. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 we're all very, very familiar with. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so when we come to a saving faith in Christ, for the scripture stated in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Now, that means anybody. Whosoever is anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. So don't ever think that you have sinned so great a sin that God can't save you. God is bigger than that. His blood is more powerful than that. And there is nothing that he cannot do. And as the Holy Spirit of God takes up his ministry and his residency, Within the believer, there is a new awareness, or there should be an awareness of those things in our lives that would displease God. As the redeemed of the Lord, we have entered into a relationship with God and God with us. Not through some religious organization or some ecclesiastical order. Rather, this relationship is one of a father and a child relationship. I have been born again. I have been born into the family of God. And that's what Jesus told Nicodemus. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so in this relationship, God has some very pointed, what's the word? He has some very pointed expectations. Amen? That's a word I use an awful lot. The point where hopefully it's going to sink in very deep. But... God has some very pointed expectations in this relationship, such as we find in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, where it says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That means in every aspect of your demeanor as an individual. But he goes in, he says in verse 16, the next verse, he says, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, does that seem like too much? Does that seem like a, a, a star too far? Does that seem like it's, a, a, it's, an impossible, it's an impossibility with us that we could be holy? Now, holiness is a state of being. And that holiness, the, the, the gauge of that holiness or the measuring stick of that holiness is God. And you're probably thinking, uh, now preacher, we know you're nuts. Because we're just sinners saved by grace. 
But God never asks us to do the impossible. And both the word be and be thee are in the imperative, which is a command. Be ye therefore holy as I am holy is a command. Now, it is a process of progressive sanctification. We are saved, but as the Holy Spirit works in us, he is moving us every day prayerfully and hopefully to become more like the person of Jesus Christ, as we will see in the body of the message. And so, the first step that makes this command possible begins with salvation by faith and faith alone. The second step in God's plan is his giving the Holy Spirit to each person saved by grace. And the third step is the use of the infallibly preserved word of God in that particular process. Now, conviction is what we're after. How sensitive is my heart to the things of the Lord? And God has created a wonderful emotion called conviction within us. And so conviction via the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is that process that God the Father uses to checkmate those times in our lives when our lives are breaching the holiness of God. So as we open the word of prayer, we'll get to that first step, which is going to be the first step in God's program of holiness. is found in 1 John 5, verses 1 through 10. Father, won't you guide and direct? As we look at the message this morning, Lord, we're living in a day and age where, Lord, the Christian life is going to be challenged on every front. What we believe, why we believe it, why we stand, why we won't cater to the world. Or, Lord, why it is that we take positions that causes the world to label us as homophobes or any number of things that they, they want to label us to try to discourage us in our stand with you. So, Lord, won't you guide whether it's to salvation or to rededication. But, Lord, may we all walk away from here today challenged, encouraged, and changed in those areas that, Lord, you desire for change. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in First John... Most of us are pretty familiar with that. We, at least we should be. Most of us all are very familiar with 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, which we will get to in a minute. But as we look at 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, the Bible says this. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is what? God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, we find several important points to be made in verse 6 concerning the, the first point of holiness. Now, the word fellowship. We have gathered here this morning to fellowship. Fellowship with one another. We've also come here to fellowship with the Lord. Amen? We've come here to fellowship through the word of God and through the preaching of the word of God and through the lifting of our voices in songs and in hymns. And so the word fellowship here is the idea of having an association with Christ and then follows several salient points to qualify John's statement. And that would be about walking in darkness. The words walk in darkness is a simple statement that if one claims to have fellowship with Christ, and remains ignorant about respect, the respecting of divine truths and, ex, and, and, and God's expectations, they're only fooling themselves. For to walk in darkness is not only about walking in ignorance, it's about walking in the manner of the world. 
The world walks it out. Do you think that they came up with same-sex marriages because the Word of God supports it? Or because the Word of God encourages it? Or because it's a principle or precept in the Word of God? Absolutely not. Same-sex marriage is, is an abomination to God. All this foolish nonsense, and it's, not, it, it's serious stuff, this uh, uh, gender dysphoria, the mutilating of little children because they wore a dress one day just to play house or whatever it was that they were doing. Now, I, I would hate to have the men raise their hand and ask them how many of you actually, when you were a little kid, maybe playing house, <laughs> or if you went on Halloween, might have done that. Well, if gender dysphoria had been a thing in your day, then you'd probably not be what you are today. <laughs> but we get it. I mean, uh, the world is coming up with, with solutions to problems that do exist, but they don't have divine wisdom and they don't have divine knowledge to bring about the right solutions. And so they tack these courses led by the devil, the ideology of the world. And so the idea of to walk in darkness is walking according to the ideology of the world. That is to say that we walk and accept the reasoning of the world. We accept the thinking of the world. We accept with just some off-the-wall justification of the things that the world is doing. Well, that's walking in darkness because if you're walking in the light, you can see right through these things. You can see the problem. And though you may not always have the direct answer because you don't have the direct contact, but at least you can be used of God to pray for these individuals, to pray for these people, because what they really need is salvation. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are what? become new. So all of a sudden now the world's ideology is over here and now we're beginning to take part in a new ideology called the word of God. God's precepts, God's principles. A world where Christ is king. Where he is also Lord. So if these old things as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 are not passing away and giving way to the new creation in Christ then one is still walking in darkness and does not have fellowship with Christ, even though they may think so. Listen, you could be an unsaved individual and come here and say, well, I'm fellowshipping with Christ because I'm coming to church and I'm singing songs and I'm participating in the listening of the service. But if you walk out here and you walk out back into the world and you're the same old thing as you were before you came in here, walking in the world, walking as the world walks, thinking as the world, reasoning as the world does there, you don't have fellowship with the Lord. To be honest with you, when you came in here, you didn't have fellowship with the Lord. Now, the implication of the word walk in verse 6 has to do with how we make our way through life daily. It's not just about taking a stroll through the park or a stroll in the backyard. It is about the overall manner that governs how we walk, the ideology. We walk in truth. We don't walk in deception. We walk in honesty and not in deception. At least we should. And so verse 6 has to do with how we make our way through life daily. If I claim to have fellowship with Christ and my life uh, uh, has not changed and I am living my life as I always have lived my life, I have no real desire to study and to meditate in the Word of God. If I don't have a hunger and a thirst after the things of God, then something hasn't really taken place that we think might have or should have along the way. Because once you get saved... 
You come to a saving knowledge in the Lord and the Savior Jesus Christ, there should be a hunger and a thirsting for the truth. A hunger and a thirst for the Word of God. Amen? There should be a desire to make application of the things that we read to our lives. And so, we see here that doing my thing without any desire for input from God or the Holy Spirit or the Word of God, then there is no fellowship or genuine association with Christ. How am I going to fellowship with God if I don't understand the foundational principles of fellowshipping with God? Then he is readily given to us through the Word of God and inspired and directed by the Holy Spirit of God as we're in the Word of God. Amen. And so... I think it's very important for us to grasp that idea is that there should be, that if we don't have a desire of input from God, and listen, if you're not in the Word of God, then you don't have any input. Or if you do, you have very little input. Because we're supposed to be in the Word of God daily. I need that daily input. You need that daily input on a regular basis. And so... There is no fellowship or genuine association with Christ if we're continuing to walk in darkness. You have a preacher, there's just certain things I love to do, then you need to give those things up and give them over to the Lord so that the Lord can give you more important things. He can give you things that are more satisfying. Things that are of an eternal blessing rather than temporal. So the end result, as verse 5 states it, is that we lie and do not the truth. Look at verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, we're lying to ourselves first and foremost. But then secondly, truth is always truth from God's perspective. Not what we want it to be or what we wish it was or society espouses. But it is what it is as God states truth to be. What did Jesus tell the disciples on the day he gave them the announcement that he was going to be leaving them? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Jesus Christ is truth. Everything that he stood for, everything that he taught was truth. So God is making a simple statement here this morning. When salvation is genuine... There is the desire to leave the old life behind and to desire a new life in Christ. It would be the difference of, Lord, I have lived my life to this point. Now, Lord, how would you have me to live my life? How many actually remember saying that? Lord, how would you have me to live my life? Because the answer is going to come, get my word. Get in the book. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide you and to lead you into all truth. And you will discover how I want you to walk in this life. I want you to walk in the light, not in darkness. And so we are no longer blinded by the darkness of a fallen world and its vain, empty ideologies and indifferences to God's holiness. Listen, uh, the, the open acceptance and embracing of, of a homosexual lifestyle. Now listen, we need to love them. We need to pray for them. But to condone their lifestyle is unscriptural. God said the lifestyle is an abomination. Nothing's changed. Same-sex marriages. Living together without being married. It's all the same. It's sin. 
I'm not going to mention these things because the vast majority of our society is in that boat. Oh, if I do that, I'm going to offend a lot of people. Well, you know what? I'd rather offend them than offend God. God can do a whole lot more to me than they can. <laughs> the Bible says that we're to fear them who fear not those who can destroy the body. And having done all, they, they can't destroy the, the, the spirit and the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul. Now that means to have a reverence as well, not only to, to be a phobia or as the word would be, to be phobos, uh, but rather to have a reverence and as the redeemed of the Lord, we should have a reverence for God to do the things that we know that pleases God rather than do the things that please us. And when we love God, it will be amazing to you and I how that we desire to do the things that please God because now if we're pleasing God, that pleases us. How many of you in your marriage like to please your mate? You, you, do, do you enjoy that? Because if you don't, I'll see you on Monday in my counseling office. <laughs> we'll get it straightened out. But, you know, it's, it's nothing for her. If the wife's laying on the sofa, she said, could you bring me a, a water? And I'll have to go through the kitchen, down the stairs, and through where my study is, open the refrigerator, bring it all the way back upstairs and give it to her. And I can say, what's wrong with your legs? <laughs> or I could just bring the water up there with a joyful heart. Is it here? And she would say, thank you. You're the most bestest, specialist husband in the world. <laughs> or something like that <laughs> on the way. But we, listen, when we get saved, we enter into, into an eternal relationship with our Heavenly Father, with our Lord and Savior, and with the Holy Spirit, and as well with the Word of God. And we're to have a developing relationship that takes pleasure in being in these things and doing the things that, that are required or ex expected of us to do so. So the reason the world doesn't give a hoot about God's precepts and standards is because they walk in darkness and in abject ignorance, such as that two people, two single people living together as, as a married couple is somehow good when God has established a God-honoring marriage as an indissoluble contract. Well, secondly, same-sex marriages have been embraced by a fallen world, but not with God. Gender dysphoria, mutilation is, a, is, a pagan, is as pagan as it gets, uh, as it can be, and contrary to the word of God. God knows what he's doing. And uh, he may be able to change the physical outlook of an individual's gender, but you can't change what the DNA is. The DNA is still the DNA. And at some point in that individual's life, it's going to catch up with them. Those two are going to come together. And they're going to be the most miserable people in the world. And some have found sooner than later. And have come out and said as much. So America is a modern-day Sodom and Gomorrah of perversion. While there are many who do not approve of these things, the number who, who, who do not uh, is in a continual state of decline. Some of us who live more than 50 years, some of us more than 75, we knew a different America. We knew an America when Playboy magazine was kept in a brown wrapper on the, on the shelf. When, if you were carrying a bottle of liquor out of the liquor store, it was in a brown bag. I mean, everybody knew what it was. But nonetheless, that's what they did. People didn't just 
take up living together. If they did, then they were typically the talk of the town or everybody knew who was committing adultery. And so there seems to be no shame when it comes to choosing to disobey God. And that's because we have gotten as a country, as a whole, not individually, but as a whole, we have gotten further and further from God and God's truth with every passing year. And we are now where we are because it just kept de-escalating all the way through. And so the number of folks who have little to no conviction about life without God and godliness may be at the point of no return for America. The rapture may be a whole lot closer than any possibility of a revival. The rapture may bring about a revival in some people's lives, but we must remember and never forget that according to the book of Thessalonians, that those who have heard the gospel this side of the rapture and who reject the message will have no opportunity to get saved at all once that rapture takes place. They're done for eternity. They sign their own eternal destiny in a place called hell. So if none of these bother you, or you have no conviction about the unholiness of all this, and more than you, my friend, are walking in darkness, and you have no fellowship with Christ. Now the solution if you want one, is found in verses 7 through 9. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to do what? Cleanse us from all, not just a few, but all righteousness. You can't sin a sin that the blood of Christ can't cleanse. Isn't that wonderful? I've had people say, well, you just don't know how great a sinner I am. God does. And God sent his son so that you could be saved. So that no matter how bad you may think you are, the blood of Jesus Christ can change everything about us. It can certainly change our eternal destiny. It can certainly change our heart. It can put us in the light rather than in the darkness. And so if you have not... Come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Today would be a good time to do so. And then secondly, and these are shorter than the first. The second step in God's program of holiness is found in the Gospel of John chapter 16. In John chapter 16. Looking back in verse 7. Now, Jesus is getting a whole lot closer uh, to his ascension. His death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. And he's telling the disciples, he said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient. It is necessary for you that I go, I go away. For if I go not away, he, the Comforter, or the Paraclete, or the Holy Spirit, if you will, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, or of judgment because the Prince of this world is judged. He said, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, uh, whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And again here he says, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. And so it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, whose ministry is stated by Christ uh, before his ascension, as found in John 14 through 16, all three of those chapters. Now, 
His ministry is to convince, it is to convict, it is to lead men in, in, in all truth, it is to indwell the believer. And so one of the Holy Spirit's ministries to bring uh, is to bring about convictions. As to the unsaved, it is to convince them of their need to come to a saving faith uh, in the person of Jesus Christ because there is no other name under heaven whereby man must be what? Saved. No one ever gets saved without the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Someone shared with you the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God worked upon you and as those two conspired together it either broke down your barrier of resistance and you surrendered and you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Amen? It's not science. It's truth. That's how we get saved. And uh, so it says, uh, the Apostle Paul, having stated this, says, no one ever gets saved. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentiles. So baptism and church membership, nor works, none of these can, can save you. God made, made an even playing field for everyone. Faith. God can give you the faith to receive his son Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. So you don't have to have more money than somebody else. You don't have to work harder than somebody else. You don't have to get baptized by many different people on the way along there. Everybody's on the same playing field. We come by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. And so, as redeemed of the Lord, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God conspire together. And so let's not forget the Holy Spirit's ministry is to ultimately conform us to his son Jesus Christ. Is that what it says in Romans 8.29? For whom he did foreknow, he also, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. His ministry is to conform us. Either we are yielded and being conformed or we're resistant and we're not being conformed. And that's going to create a problem in your Christian life. So seeing then that God is never untrue to himself, and as the prophet Amos asked the question to a backslidden Israel, and we would do well to ask ourselves this question, can two walk together? Now remember what that word walk is? That walk is a mean, as a, as a, as a, uh, uh, demeanor of our life. That's how we walk every day. These are the principles, these are the precepts, these are the things that we do that please God, that honor God, and that are right for us to do as the children of God. So he asked when can two walk together except they be agreed? Now the answer to that is no. That's why we have so many divorces in America. They got married thinking that this was the end all of end all and it became the end all because they didn't learn how to walk together. Marriage is about two people walking together, ministering to one another. And so, a question worth evaluating where we are in our daily walk with the Lord our God. Lord, am I walking with you? Or am I walking contrary? The purpose of the Holy Spirit's conviction in our lives is to address the character or the nature of our walk from God the Father's perspective. Oh, man. Sometimes we have this idea, well, have you ever tried to share the gospel with someone who says, well, I'm not a sinner? Or have they, have they told you, I'm a good person? That wasn't the question. From God's perspective, have you received my son as your personal Lord and Savior? 
And so it is so important for us that the purpose of the Holy Spirit's conviction in our lives is to address the character or nature of our walk from God, the Father's perspective, and not from ours or the world's. Now, God wants us to be able to give a good accounting. We're going to have a good accounting someday, amen? Or we're going to still, good or bad, we're going to give an accounting. We're all going to stand before God and give an account of ourselves. I'm not going to account for my wife. My wife's not going to account for me. I'm going to account for myself. I'm going to account about the kind of father. I'm going to account for the kind of husband. I'm going to account for the kind of grandfather. I'm going to account for the kind of pastor that I've been. I have a lot of accounting. And I am going to do my best under the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God to make sure it's a good accounting. So should you. That should be your desire. And so God wants us to be able to give a good accounting of our stewardship as redeemed of the Lord and to be a true representative of his holiness in a dark and a fallen world. Now, how does he, how does he do that? How does he, how, do, how does he prepare us for a good accounting? Right here. James said it best, be not, be not hearers only, but be what? Doers also. That's how we become good accounting. That's how we can give a good accounting right here based on the word of God. And so we close with point number three. The third step in God's program of holiness is found in Titus chapter one. That's one of those books I should do a series from. It's a very short one. <laughs> it probably still take me a couple years to get through it. Oh, and I'm getting there. Whoops, just running by it. Anyway, in Titus chapter 1 and looking in verse, verse 9. All right, I'm going to get there. I keep flipping the wrong page. Uh, he says, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able to, that he may be able by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine, there's a lot of churches out there who have things in their, in their doctrinal statements that have no business being there because they have no biblical precedence whatsoever. They're man-made. Our doctrine comes from the Word of God. That's where your doctrine should come from. The things that you adhere to, the things that you believe, the things that you accept, that you would die for, are the things in the Word of God. And so... The word gainsayer in verse 9 is one who opposes God and God's righteousness. Especially those who claim to be saved and yet live their life as God has no say or any input into how they live that life. There are so many today who call Jesus Christ Lord and he is not their Lord. Their Savior, yes, but not their Lord because to be saved just means I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. To be Lord is that I yield my life completely and fully to him and say, Lord, my life is your life. Your will is my will. And so, again, Sarah is one who opposes God. And so that we are not ignorant of God's expectations, God has given and preserved his word without error so that we can read it, meditate in it, those areas of our life that need working upon will be exposed. Now, that's probably one of the reasons why a lot of people don't like to read the Bible. I like what I like, and I don't want anybody messing with it, let alone the Word of God or the Holy Spirit of God. And so, 
rather than being grieved when we are being convicted by the Holy Spirit or by God's Holy Word, embrace it, respond positively to it because he loves us and he wants what is best for each and every one of us. Amen? He wants you to have a good accounting. He didn't set the bar so high that he hasn't enabled us to be able to reach it. Now, some people just say, well, you seem to be setting the bar too high. You know, I'm glad that God has a high bar. But I'm also glad that he has given to me the Lord Jesus Christ to make it possible. The Holy Spirit of God to guide me and direct me to make it up to that. To that and the word of God that I can follow to get to that high mark. To get to that high bar. The problem is that we're settling too low. The buyer is up here and we're settling for down here. As long as I go to church and I sing a few songs and I drop a few dollars in the offering plate, guess what? I'm good to go. That's a low bar. It's what you do when you're not here. It's what you do at work. It's what you do when you're out in your community. Living for the Lord. Exalting the Lord. I'm not saying you have to run around with a preacher's robe, preaching and yelling and screaming, the world's coming to an end and so on. But you know, living your life for God, living a transformed life, living the power of a transformed life, boy, what a difference that makes to people around you. Wouldn't you rather have someone say to you, you must be a Christian, rather than having them come up and say, huh, you're a Christian? Which one would you rather? And so the Holy Spirit of God does not work independent of God's word, nor does the word of God contradict the Holy Spirit of God, never, ever. So the wise Christian embraces conviction. The smart Christian changes his or her life so that he or she can walk with God. Amen. And so conviction is the method God uses to chip away at the soul and the spirit of man in order to create and conform us to his perfect son, Jesus Christ. Because there are some things in our lives that God says they just need to go. I want to be able to put something better in this place. So Jesus tried to warn Peter as we go back to the original text that uh, A.J. read. Jesus tried to warn Peter. The warning was an attempt to convict Peter of Peter's heart. Remember what Peter said? What did Peter say? He said, I'll not deny you. I'll die for you. I'll die with you. But when push came to shove, the Bible says Peter followed from afar. See, that was a convicting moment. That should have been a convicting moment in Peter's life. Lord, is there something you see that I don't know about? Well, what do I need to change to make sure that this doesn't take, that, that what you just said doesn't take place? No, you can't have your life. Peter, you, uh, Lord, you've got to be wrong. Sometimes we look at the word of God and say, that can't be right. Or even when the preacher's preaching, well, you know what, yeah, that's the preacher. He is paid to be good. The rest of you all are good for nothing. But anyway, the next emotion that would overwhelm Peter would be grief, guilt, and shame because he, he didn't accept the conviction for what it was. Conviction is meant to prevent our grief, our guilt, and our shame because one day we are going to see Christ face to face and the Lord our God wants it to be a joyful event. So conviction is a wonderful work of God's grace and only a foolish or a naive Christian spurns godly conviction. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together. 
Lord, we thank you for the folk who are gathered here in the sanctuary as those who have joined us uh, alive at home. And Lord, how we do ask and pray that, Lord, this message will challenge from the pulpit, Lord, to the farthest reaches that this message could possibly reach. And Lord, that we would accept being convicted about certain things in our lives. Lord, our, our flesh is, is ready and quick to challenge. Oh, we get in the flesh very quickly. That preacher says something that we don't like. I don't agree with that. Lord, may we never say that. May we as a children of God never say, Lord, I need to examine this. Lord, I need to look further into this. Lord, I need your guidance. I need your direction would be the proper response. But Lord, we get our, we get our dander up. We get our flesh up. Lord, may we not do that. Lord, may we be mature enough as Christians to realize that if the Spirit has spoken to us through the Word and through the preacher, then, Lord, there must be something in it. We must accept it. And so, Lord, seeing and accepting conviction as one of the weapons that we have in the great arsenal to keep us from walking indifferent on a regular basis, but, Lord, being convicted so that we can change the course and get back on track. Lord, may that be our desire. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed and not a soul looking around. I'd ask you today. Have you ever in your life come to that place where you said, Lord, my flesh doesn't like this. My flesh right now is not very happy. But Lord, you've presented it. And Lord, I want to know how you want me to react to it. Rather than the devil inflaming your flesh, let the Holy Spirit of God build the power through the Word of God to bring about changes that God believes that need to take place in our lives. It really is all about conviction. Whether it's to salvation or to be the kind of child that God wants us to be so that we can walk with Him and He with us. Heads about, not a soul looking around, would you say, Preacher, pray for me. There have been times when my flesh gets, 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 gets its ire up. And oh Lord, I really feel miserable after that. And I, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I, I'm a little bit guilty preacher. And I go out there and I try to find out if there's someone else who believes the same way as I do. Rather than surrendering and saying, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? Preacher, pray for me. I've seen some hands up already. Yes, preacher, pray for me today. Pray for me today. Lord, I want to do your will. I want your will to be my will. I want to be able to walk with you on a continual minute-by-minute, moment-by-moment basis. Maybe, the preacher, I, I don't even know if i got a home in heaven. And the, and the folks, this is true for you folks at home today. Or those who maybe download the message at some particular point. Preacher, I don't even know if we've got a home in heaven. You know what God's will for you is that you would come to know his son, Jesus Christ. And I can promise you, you never ever regret it. If you'll embrace it and accept it and allow the Holy Spirit of God to guide and to direct you, all things will pass away. And behold, all things will become new. And the things that you didn't think you could live without, you're going to be surprised. <laughs> I really didn't need all that after all. Preacher, would you pray for me today? I have no idea, but would you pray that my eyes would be open, my ears as well, that I would understand and receive. Preacher, would you pray? Well, Father, again, we thank you for this time that we've been together. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to us.
Forgive us, Lord, of our faithlessness at times. But Lord, to try to understand the importance of, of, the, of the power of conviction, the conviction that is manifested within your grace that would chip away at those areas in our lives that, that Lord, you find displeasing or you find as a hindrance to our being able to walk closely with you or to get the kind of answers to our prayers that we desire. So Lord, you guide, you direct, continue to meet all the needs of each and every one who raised their hands and Lord, perhaps maybe even those who didn't. But Lord, we do ask and pray that you give us a complete understanding challenging us and changing us. And Lord, that you'd be with Brother Steve tonight as he continues to share with us what you've laid on his heart through the book of Mark. Lord, dismiss us now with thy blessings, we pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.